Would you please join me for a word of prayer? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. It's kind of funny to think about the, the baptisms today because there's personal involvement on both sides. Little Matilda's uncles are uh, basketball players. We played basketball in the gym and hung out and made all sorts of trouble for one another and talked trash and had a good time. So, so it's always a joy to see families doing their thing and children and you just smile and kind of pick right up where, where you left off. And, and, and I love that part about family. I love that part about, about church. Now Matthew's a different story because I grew up with his father, one of my dearest friends in my whole life. And he and my friend Eric are in, are in church today and faithful men of God who love the Lord. And, and, and you think about those stories and Scott will always tease, he said, the problem with, with you, Tim, is they got you connected with me to tutor and math, which could be the dumbest thing in the history of the world, but it made a great friendship over the course of time. And Scott and Eric and I went to Lutheran High together a hundred years ago, graduated in 1982, which is a hundred years ago as well. And we hung out with a group of people, and there was only one St. John's guy who really hung out with us because we went to the poor schools. We hung out from Zion, Christ Coast to Mason, Trinity, Santa Ana, and all the rich kids from St. John's kind of went over, and they were a little bit above the fray from your basic run-of-the-mill poor person from Anaheim Costa Mesa, Santa Ana. And we had a buddy that we ran around with who was notoriously late if he would show up at all. His name was Jeff, God rest his soul. But Jeff would say, I'll be there, I'll be there, I'll be there, I'll be there, I'll be there at four, I'll be there at five. He'd be the guy who in this day and age would be texting you at 10 minutes after six saying, dude, I know I'm an hour and 10 minutes late, but I'm going to be there, just trust me, don't leave without me. Now, through the joy of cell phones, we would have texted him back and said, sorry, dude, we're out of here. You know, it's just a whole, a whole different, a whole different thing. But when he came, he had a marvelous way of being the life of the party. Jeff just had a way of filling a room with a, with a big personality and a big smile and a big nose, but he was just a, a marvelous, marvelous person. Kind of when he got there, the party started in probably some good ways and some not so good ways as, as well. And you could hear because he had a distinctive car. He had, it must have been about a 1978 Impala that just roared down Westgate Drive when they came to Anaheim where I lived. And you knew that though he was an hour late, he was there and probably had Greg or Scott or Eric with him and that sort of thing as well. And then he went from that to a TR7, which was the shape of things to break down. And that car was wee, and then he'd right at the front and say, dude, let's go, you're driving. And I said, well, I have to drive. You have three people packed into a two-seater car. Of course I'm driving. What are we going to do? And then he had a 280ZX, which also spent a lot of time on the lift, but if you drove like Jeff drove, you can go through a transmission and a clutch and brakes very, very quickly. But you knew when that car was coming to pick you up. You knew that it was starting to, to get different. You, you knew that things were going to change immediately when you heard that 280ZX roar down South Street and coast very quietly in front of Reverend Klinkenberg's house on 626 Westgate Drive. 
In our text today, Jesus rolls in late. He rolls in late, but as he rolls in, everything changes. Bethany was only two miles or so from Jerusalem, and Jesus was close with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And, 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 and you'd think that it would have been pressing to get there. That Jesus would have said, I, I got to get, I got to drop whatever I'm doing here in Jerusalem. I got to get down to Bethany. Lazarus is sick. You would think that an hour walk maximum, Jesus would have gone and been and back. And, and like all the stories we've gone through the last weeks in the Gospel of John, it just doesn't make sense. He just, he just, it just doesn't make sense. When Nicodemus begins to speak about wind and spirit and born again, with, a, with the woman at the well, he's talking about living water and all this stuff. And, and, and with the man born blind, he's talking about light and sight and all of those things. And, and, and you're trying to connect into conversation. You're like, Jesus, speaking in riddles and gibberish and stuff that we just don't get. And, and here, all of a sudden, he should have been on time and he was late. And Lazarus' sister Martha comes up to Jesus and said, Lord, had you been here, my brother would have lived. Jesus said, oh yeah, he's fine, he's, he's going to be fine. And she says, I know, I know, at the end, at the resurrection, he's going to be great, but couldn't you have been here a little bit earlier? It's always painful to arrive late on the part of the pastor as well. Two times in my life, I've stalled and put something off only to have the person to whom I was going, with whom I was going to spend some time, die. And the way the family looks at you, there's no words for that. You kind of go in and shrug your shoulders and do your pastor thing and offer your sincere apology. There's nothing like being late. Jesus, in this case, four days late. Me, in one case, about 12 hours late and the other about 24 hours late, but late nonetheless. So for Jesus' timing was bad in this text. All he had to do was walk about 11,000 steps and he would have been there. He was overcome with emotion, the scripture said. He wept. Jesus cried. It wasn't the out-of-this-world, universe-moving Son of God, uh, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This was the Son of Man, the friend of Lazarus, the friend of sinners, the one who wept at the grave of his dear friend. And the sisters have a disappointing tone and everything seems kind of steeped in death and grief. Four days is special. You see, after four days, you're pretty much through the process. You're through the death. You've been wrapped up and put away. The stone's been there. You're left for dead and all of the natural things that go along with that. There's no way they're going back in the grave for right along with Jesus wept in this text goes, he stinketh in the old King James. He was dead, really dead. Not kind of dead or faking death, he was dead. And the whole community of Bethany had that figured out. At 53 years old, I think about death occasionally, not a lot, like any Western civilized person, I don't like to sit and morbidly think about my own death. My friend has a third grader, and he said, all Macy ever talks about is dying. 
Not so with so many of us. We don't even think about it until it's right there and until grandpa falls and then you think about it and until grandma has a stroke and then you think about it until there's a car crash and your son texts you and says, dad, you got to come. I'm on the five freeway and you get there. The first time I ever thought about dying, it was putting a trust together because a trust isn't executed until you die, typically. And the attorney said, what happens when you die? I said, well, then Barb gets the Klinkenberg millions. She said, what happens if Barb dies? And I said, well, that's never going to happen. She's going to outlive me by 50 years. And she looked me square in the eye and said, what's going to happen if Barb dies? I said, well, then I get the Klinkenberg millions. She said, now hold on. If you and Barb are going up to Paso Robles and you die, who gets the money? And we said, well, Justin and Sarah would then get it. And the tone of the conversation became much more somber. And then she says, if you guys are flying home from Maui and the plane crashes, then who gets all the money? At which point Barb and I smiled, looked at one another and said in unison, St. John's gets all the money. I never really thought that I would really ever die until the attorney asked those questions. And the death of Lazarus and thinking about our mortality, those, those, there's some pieces that run parallel to one another. One is you don't know when it's coming. Even people who are sick and in the hospital, you just don't know when it's coming. One day we will die, and we don't know when that day, hour, minute, time, second is going to be. You just don't know. So you got to live every day, every moment, like it could be your last, in a very real sense. We do know from this story that people will be sad and grieving and trying to find comfort and trying to connect in community when our day comes. And we know that at some point, we will be buried and left for dead. At one point, They'll put the stone up. It'll say, here lies Tim Klinkenberg. He was okay. And everyone gets back to life. But there's one more piece. And that's perhaps the most profound piece that we will have in common with Lazarus. And the Lord Jesus called to him from the grave and said, come out. Lazarus, come out. Four days you've been in there, let's go, get out. And I wonder what that was like. Was it like Star Trek in the, in the, in the beam, being beamed in? What, what did that feel like? Did it start at his fingers and toes and work his way to his heart? Or did it start with his heart and his lungs and work its way out to his fingers and his toes? Either way, I don't know, but this I do know. He was dead and in the grave, and then he came out. Wrapped in burial clothes, Lazarus says, Jesus says, get those dead clothes off of him. He's alive. He heard the voice. He put his feet down. He rolled to his feet. And he went to the voice of his friend, Jesus. And so will you. So will Matthew one day. So will Matilda one day. We hear that voice of Jesus say, come out. And we will be reanimated and made alive. And the payoff of Christianity is life forever in heaven with Jesus. That's the payoff. 
Not relevance today, although that's a, a function of the Christian life. The real payoff, the real payoff of the baptism is, is holding the babies today, but knowing they're going to be with Jesus forever. That's the payoff. That's the point. That's, that's where all the lateness and all of the stuff and all of the things of this life just kind of fade away. And the Lord says, come out. And death loses to life. And life defeats death. And hearts that are laid to rest with rigor mortis are made new and soft and pumping the blood of life to all those who believe in Jesus Christ. And the dead will be raised from their graves and made alive. A new heaven and a new earth awaits all those who are baptized into Christ. I love the interchange. Love the interchange. <laughs> Martha comes out and said, yeah, blah, blah, blah. If you'd have been here, it would have been great. Jesus said, it's all going to be fine. You're so, he's going to rise again. And again, that marvelous conversation, he looks at her and he says, Martha, I am the resurrection. And I am the life. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ of God. Jesus is our resurrection. The one who's been through the death and the grave. He's the one that will call to us that day. The one who burst forth from the grave. Where the woman, women looked and saw and they said, well, we think it's a gardener, but it might have been Jesus. The, the, the one who were walking on the road to Emmaus with him. They said, well, we couldn't figure out who he was until we broke bread with him. And then we saw that it was the Lord. The one who came to Peter in the water and said, Pete, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? It's that marvelous, personal voice of Jesus that calls us from sin to grace, from shame to mercy, from hatred to love, and from death to life. He is the resurrection and the life. The end of John's gospel, John says these words, he says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Easter is two weeks from today, right? Yeah, it is. Trust me, I'm good at this. this is, we're, we're already ready for it. This part's on the calendar. We're ready to go. We're going to do a good job. But the stories we've told from John's gospel over the last five weeks are put there by John and by the Spirit of the living God to convince you that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life, you may have zoe life, not just your heart pumping, but life of faith, life of God, life of, 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 of animation, that you may have that zoe life and be saved. So if this Sunday isn't your Sunday... You say, ah, Nicodemus, ah, the woman at the well, ah, the man born blind, ah, Lazarus. Come back next Sunday for sure. And two weeks from this Sunday for Easter for sure. Wear your Sunday best, a nice orchid and a tie like we talked about last week. And, and be convinced, not by Lazarus or a lady at a well, or a confused man in Nicodemus, but be convinced by the man himself, by Jesus, who was put in the grave on Friday night and who on Sunday morning was alive. 
and let the life of Christ live through you with confidence and hope and a marvelous peace that passes all human understanding because it's rooted in a man who made another man alive and who he himself was raised up from the dead. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in His name. Jesus. Jesus. The resurrection. Jesus. The life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.